Connecting life and faith. This is Connections. And again, my mom knew my life wasn't where it needed to be, but my mom didn't know how big of a tipping point that I was on. And I was washing clothes, and my mom called me in the den, and I caught just at the very end of the commercial where there was a guy that was coming to our city that attempted suicide. And my mom said, you ought to come here. And the reason I ended up going to the event where I met Christ was only because the guy that was going to be there was going to be sharing his story. The truth of it is, the night I got there, he didn't say anything about his story. But that's the reason that I went. And that's the night that I met Christ. It's such a beautiful story. We're joined today by Jay Louder. He is the founder of Jay Louder Harvest Ministries. Now, he knows all too well what it can be like in a very dark place, but he also knows what it can feel like to be redeemed and to find God. Today on Connections, he is going to share his powerful story of transformation and how you can help others that may be going through a tough time. Jay Louder is with us today. You may have seen him preach a time or two across North America. Jay Louder of Jay Louder Harvest Ministries. And Jay's passionate about bringing the good news of Jesus to people. But Jay, your own journey to Jesus, as I've been reading up on you, your own journey to Jesus came from a really dark place in your own life. Do you mind telling us about that a little bit? Yeah, you know, I grew up in church. Um, I live in the South here in the lower 48. And so it's kind of a staple. It's it's kind of a way of life out here. And when I was a young boy, I made a decision for Christ, but really didn't understand the decision that I was making. And um, so kind of grew up thinking I was a believer, but actually I wasn't. Like a lot of people, uh, young people, when I turned 18 and I went off to college and my parents were no longer around to make me go to church, I just completely evaporated from the Christian scene. Eventually, uh, within the next few years, kind of carrying on the life I had lived in my high school days, um, what ended up happening was, is my life began to fall apart. Um, I was 21 years of age, and you have to kind of put yourself in the perspective of a 21-year-old. So um, I lost my job. My girlfriend and I broke up, and uh, I lost my vehicle. Actually, my dad took it away because of the way I was living my life, actually, but uh and so um, I moved in with a buddy of mine. I'd been living with him for quite a while. We we didn't have much money, of course. And uh, we were living in a small duplex. I mean, we had no furniture. I was sleeping on a sofa. And, and really just because of the way I was living my life and the loss of things that I deemed to be very important at that age, um, I, I just sank into a really deep depression, just, just as if there was no hope. Um, when you don't have a vehicle, you know, and you can't really go anywhere and um, you have an alcohol addiction, trying to escape the reality. There was just a darkness and a real rut and hopelessness in my life. And, and for a while, I'd been wondering, of course, at this point, you know, again, God wasn't on my radar at all. And so I, I began debating about ending my life. It's kind of a dichotomy because on one hand, I didn't want anybody to know because I was embarrassed to where I was in life. My father had been a very successful businessman, you know, 50 more convenience stores. I'd always assumed that I would be a businessman like my father. And, and here I am in an addiction, uh, suicidal thoughts, a, a very dark depression, kind of confined, nowhere to go. And uh, so I, I, I didn't want anybody to know. But then on the other hand, I, I kind of wish somebody understood the pain that I was going through. 
But like a lot of people who are facing suicide or, or contemplating or have those tendencies, I began to further isolate myself. What started out originally was considerations of maybe shooting myself in the leg. I know it sounds ridiculous, but I thought, well, I won't kill myself. I'll shoot myself somewhere that I'll, I'll live. But then maybe that would help people understand how much I'm hurting. I, I wanted attention for help. Yeah, it, it really was. I mean, it's weird. I wanted attention, but yet I didn't want attention. You know, when I'm yeah. traveling, I'll hear people say, well, I, I know I have a son or a daughter or a friend and they just want attention. And the answer is yes, they do. And the reason they do is because they're hurting. But um, anyway, never, never went through with that. Within a, about a month or two later, after contemplating that, I woke up one day about noon with a hangover and I walked in the bathroom, was kind of trying to sober up and put some cold water on my face. And I don't know what it was about that day, but when I saw my reflection in the mirror, I just hated who I was and yeah. decided that I was going to end my life. I started actually screaming at myself about how much I hated the reflection I was seeing in the mirror. Went back to the sofa and I uh, took out the 20 tug caliber pistol I kept hidden. We lived in a pretty rough part of town and took out the pistol and uh, actually began to contemplate, OK, now that I'm about to end my life, am I going to go to heaven or hell or is, is there even a heaven? Or hell? Is God even real? And I really wasn't sure of that, because even though we had went to church, of course, I never had a personal relationship. And so if God existed, he was some faraway being that certainly didn't know my pain certainly didn't care about my scenario. And I reasoned, well, if, if God is real because of some commitments I made as a young boy, or I'd go to say decisions, not commitments, rather, um, I guess I guess I'll be okay. And it was kind of ironic because on one side, I don't want to say I was audibly hearing voices because I wasn't, but but it was like one voice was, one side of my brain was saying, just end it all, no reason to live, you're a loser. Another side was saying, don't do it, you know, but I just in an attempt to try to escape the pain, you know, really, that's what suicide is. It's not the fear of death. It's the fear of life. And, and yeah. that's really where I was. And so I uh, caught back the hammer and uh, put the pistol in my right temple and put my finger on the trigger. And uh, I, I remember clearly I had tears running down my cheeks and uh, th this was it. And just as I had leaned my head over to squeeze the trigger, I heard someone pull up on a gravel driveway, which was very odd because everybody was either in college or they were at work. And my roommate worked for his father across town and uh, he only had a 30 minute lunch break. So he never came home because he couldn't drive the distance and make it back to work in time. So just out of curiosity of who it was, I it just startled me enough that I. I got up and looked out the, the, the blinds and it was my roommate, which was just really remarkable. So I raced back over to the sofa and, and, and turned on the television because I didn't want my roommate. And my roommate knew I had issues. My roommate had been trying to get me to go to AA. Uh, but anyway, I turned on the TV because I didn't want him to know what was going on. Yeah. And, uh, he walked in the door and I said, Ralph, what are you doing home? And he said, man, you're never going to believe this story. And of course, I knew his dad pretty well. He said, you know, my dad never lets me off of work. And he said, for some reason, dad came up to me today and said, hey, man, take the rest of the day off and I'm going to pay you for a full day. And when he said that, it was like a shockwave. I'm going, 
I just all day long was going, is this a coincidence or is maybe there a God who's trying to, to rescue me? I really yeah. wasn't sure of what it was, but it was such an anomaly. Matter of fact, it's funny. I'm in Austin right now preaching. And last time I was in Austin, my roommate who works for Dell Computer came to hear me speak. And I actually shared my testimony the night that he came. And he came up to me after the service and he said, Jay, man, it's so weird hearing you tell the story. He said, I, I so remember every detail. And he said, in all of my life, I, I can't say I've ever felt the presence of evil. But he said mm-hmm. that day when I walked in, even though I had no idea what was going on, yeah. he said that day when I walked in, in our duplex, he said it was like when I walked in the door, I was just suffocating in evil. And he never wow. told me that. Uh, I think a lot of people can relate to your story and hearing that maybe they're even living through it right now. Myself, I didn't wake up. I was still awake on a Sunday morning at 5 a.m. And I looked in the mirror after three days awake right on a binge. And that same thing, looking in the mirror, hating the monster, the bad person and wanting to end it all. And God rescues us when we seek him out. Right. Uh, and, And a super interesting way for you, the roommate had no idea what he was doing. He just headed home for a day off. I love it. Yeah. Um, he, he, matter of fact, my roommate came to me um, probably, I don't know, it's hard to remember now, a month, maybe several months, and came to me one day uh, at the end of work at 5.36 o'clock when he got home. And uh, he said, I'll just never forget this. He said, Jay, man, you need to go to AA. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. I, I, I was so insulted. I cannot believe, you know, because the addicts don't think they have a problem. They think they can quit whenever they want to. And he said, you need to go to AA. I'm like, man, I cannot believe you'd say that to me. And he said, well, Jay, what else do you call somebody? We you know when I, at night, when I come home, you're, you're wasted. Oftentimes in the morning, when I'm getting up going to work, you're drinking. He said, well, what do you call somebody who drinks all day? And it was just, I'm like, I didn't want to admit it, of course, because an addict goes, well, I can handle this and I can quit anytime I want to. But so he knew that there were some issues in my life. I never told anybody that I was suicidal. No one really knew. And again, part of that was I was isolated. The only person that really was connected to me was my roommate, but he was at work all day. And then when he would get home, he would go to his girlfriend's house. So I had withdrawn from society trying to keep uh, my depression and the darkness in my life hidden. But again, at the same time, I was wishing that somebody knew how just how hopeless that I felt and nobody yeah. knew. September is Suicide Prevention Month. And, uh, you know, a lot of us, we have people in our lives that are struggling like that. What are what are some of the signs that maybe we could pay attention to and start cluing in? Oh, I think my friend doesn't only have a, a problem, but I think they're close to harming themselves. Yeah, well, if I may, let me let me kind of back up a little bit because I yeah. think it's important. What was the turning point in my life? Ah. And so a few, I don't know, sometime later, I went to my parents' house and uh, my mother had previously seen a commercial where there was a guy that was coming to our town. He, he really did then what I do now. And um, he was going to be, they were working with a lot of churches that were coming together and uh, they were going to be doing this massive evangelistic outreach. And again, my mom knew my life wasn't where it needed to be, but my mom didn't know how big of a tipping point that I was on. And I was washing clothes and my mom called me in the den and I caught just the very end of the commercial where there was a guy 
that was coming to our city that attempted suicide. And my mom said, you ought to come hear him. And the reason I ended up going to the event where I met Christ was only because the guy that was going to be there was going to be sharing his story. The truth of it is the night I got there, he didn't say anything about his story. But that's the reason that I went. And that's the night that I met Christ. What was it? What was it then that made you realize, yeah, I need Jesus in my life? What What did he say? You know, it's so weird because I, I originally wasn't going to go. And I had plans with, uh, by this time, I had managed to get a vehicle, no beat up pickup. And um, so I wasn't going to go. But this buddy of mine that I was supposed to link up with no showed me. And so I thought, well, you know, I'll go hear that guy because maybe I can get some insight of how I can deal with these suicidal thoughts. And um, so I've been around church long enough to know that usually the singing lasted about 20, 25 minutes. I didn't want to hear any of that. I'm sitting in the parking lot <laughs> and uh, yep. knocked out about four Coors lights before I walked in huh. and uh, got up in the balcony. And again, was really going to just wanted to hear his story. And again, you have to take in consideration. I'm a guy who, grew up going to church and Jesus was some really, I mean, he was nothing more than George Washington to me, you know, just some figure that I heard about. And that night, this guest speaker, and it was packed out wall to wall. This guy was preaching the crucifixion, but I never heard it like that. I mean, I'd heard Jesus died and that was kind of whatever, but I mean, he went into detail um, about what the crowd did and, and him being beat with a cat of nine tails. And I mean, when, I mean, every detail, the spikes in the hands and the feet, the jerking of the beard, the pushing the cross in a hole, a Roman soldier saying this was the son of God, a thief on the other side of the cross saying, will you forgive me? And I'm sitting there hearing this and I'm going, I, I just never heard it like that. And, and I, I couldn't understand why, number one, God would even care about me. I couldn't understand why that he would forgive this thief hanging next to him on the cross who had been cursing him earlier. And why would a Roman soldier who is an executioner, he does this every day. What was it that he saw about Jesus that made him say this was the son of God? And the guy got to the end of his message and he said, for some of you, you've been in church your whole life. You've heard this a million times and you're religious and you're lost. You don't know Jesus. And then he quoted a verse in John three thirty six. It says, he that has the son has a life. He who doesn't have the son doesn't have life. And that just so connected with me because I didn't have a life. I was living, but I was a walking dead man. And um, so it was just at that moment I realized Jesus was real. And even though I'd walked an aisle when I was a young boy, and my mom had taught Sunday school and I had occasionally when I got in trouble, maybe said a prayer here and there that I didn't know Christ. And I was so overcome with not only conviction, of course, at that time, I didn't really know what conviction was, but overcome with conviction, but a realization that Jesus would actually forgive me. Yeah. He would actually give me a new life. And, you know, that sometimes you have to get to a place of utter brokenness. Sometimes you've got to get to where Jesus is all you want. All you all you want before he's all you need. Yeah. And sometimes you got to get to where he's all you need before he's all you want too. And because of where my life was, it was it, it was a, a life vest for a drowning man. 
And, uh, but it wasn't just an escape. It was the realization of, man, I, I'm a sinful person. Look what I've done with my life. Doing it on my own is not working. And, and, and this man loves me. And at that moment, real, realizing how lost I was, and I already knew how sinful I was, I, I wanted the lifeline. I, 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 I've never wanted anything the way I wanted Christ in my life. And so he invited people to be public about it. You know, no undercover Christianity. If you really want to know Jesus, I'm going to invite you to get out of your seat and come forward. And I'm going to pray with you. And you're going to meet Christ. And there was a guy I used to, I'm 6'6". Six, six, there was a guy I used to play basketball with. And he wasn't any worse than me. His addiction was different than mine. I didn't even know he was there. And when the speaker asked people to get up and just unapologetically make a stand for Christ, I, I, I peeked over the balcony and this guy named Barry I didn't, I, he was the first person that stood up, and, and I thought, if God would forgive him, uh-huh. he's way worse than I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he wasn't, but, you know, I thought, if God would forgive him, he forgive me. And, man, that night, I just got on my knees, and, man, I just told the Lord how sorry I was, you know, for the way I lived my life, and, you know, what a sinner I was, and how hopeless I felt, and, and uh, how I was a fake and a phony, and how I wanted forgiveness, man. I wanted to be forgiven. It wasn't that I just wanted to escape suicide. It wasn't that, man. I, I wanted Jesus. I, whatever that meant, I wanted him in my life. I wanted his forgiveness. I wanted a relationship with him. Anybody that loved me that much, that I mattered to that much, I wanted to know, man. I I asked him to come in my life. I don't remember exactly what I said, but I just said, I, I am so sorry for my sin and and I want you in my life. And man, I'm telling you, um, you know, everybody's conversion is different, but mine was so radical. I mean, that night I was just flooded with the person of Christ. So much so that I went to my parents' house and I wasn't going to tell my mom and dad because I, I didn't know that once you met Jesus, he would give you power that you previously didn't have. And so I, I, I wasn't going to tell my parents. And that night when I left my parents' house, my mom looked at me and she said, there's something different about you. I mean, she had already, yeah. she didn't know what it was, but she already knew something was different about my life. So yeah, yeah I mean, it was a. Uh, my life is it, it. My life is divided by that April fifth night. Everything that happened before and everything that happened after. It was just a, a life changing experience, and because of that, I wanted to spend the rest of my life helping other people that were hurting like me. Yeah, and so many people so hurting, and they think that. They're alone or they're too far gone for God to forgive, right, and to accept them. But that's furthest from the truth. It's weird, too, because so often people that grew up in the church and you turn your back on God, a lot of us seem to do it because, like, wow, it's all rules and it's, I don't know, if I buy it, right, I have to give up too much to follow God. I don't want to do it. And then you end up in this place of, like, total brokenness where you've lost everything, right? You don't want to follow God because you have to give up too much and then you lose everything. Uh, but when you do finally get to that breaking point and turn around, like, man, Jesus is right there waiting with open arms, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, for me, it was, um, again, I, I just, I fell in love with Jesus that night. I mean, I, I wasn't going to, get, I, I, if I would have known that he wasn't going to share his story, I wouldn't even have went. Right. I just had an appointment that day. I never knew it. Had So he had a story of, you know, life after wanting to choose death. You have a story as well. 
Uh, yeah, what are those signs that we can pick up on and help our friends that are struggling in that place of desperation and, and maybe thinking about harming themselves? Well, some of them actually I see in my own story. Um, one of those warning signs is withdrawal. Um, it's very common for people who are having suicidal thoughts or tendencies to begin to um, to begin to withdraw. And that's exactly what I did. Um, another one is depression. Uh, of course, so it's, uh, excuse me, depression is the number one ailment worldwide. And mental health is a huge issue right now. And so a lot of people, not of course, not, I'm not saying everybody who deals with depression, but they say there's a hundred, I, mean, uh, I can't remember the figure, but it, it's just amazing that this really is a worldwide pandemic, really, with depression. So a lot of people that do struggle with uh, depression and, and mental health issues are people who oftentimes also struggle with suicidal tendencies. Uh, another one would be trauma. We see this a lot. I speak to a lot of students, and you know, oftentimes you'll hear about uh, people who um, are, are students where there was a group of students and one student attempted suicide, and then you'll see that many other students in the school have done the same thing. Um, it could be the loss of a friend. It could be the death of a parent or a grandparent. Uh, it could be a car wreck. Uh, it could be anything like that. Um, another thing also you see in my life is somebody who is increasingly using maybe drugs or alcohol. Maybe it's somebody who occasionally uh, partook, but now they're using at a different level, which, again, was another one of those things in my own life, you know, where um, I, I had been drinking for a long time, but it had escalated, you know, to a completely different place. And then another one we see oftentimes is these mood swings. Um, mm. It could be aggression. Somebody who normally is not very aggressive all of a sudden becomes aggressive. But I, I would say those are kind of the main five. And again, those are things that not only I experience, but they're common denominators that we see in the lives of a lot of people who who are struggling with this issue. Um, you know, you've had like, I would call it a, a charismatic conversion, right? Like you had this yeah. big kind of like Paul on the Damascus Road conversion, right? And a lot of people hear stories like this and and they think, well, if somebody's struggling with mental health issues, they just haven't fully met Jesus yet. But I mean, knowing Jesus doesn't necessarily mean we're not going to struggle with mental health issues, does it? I'm so glad you said that because one of the things that's bothered me I don't know where this idea came from that if you're a Christian, you're immune to suicidal tendencies, or for that matter, immune to anything. Anybody who has an understanding of the Bible sees that some of the greatest heroes in the Bible um, struggle with a lot of issues. Um, and so just because, and I've heard people say that, well, if you know Jesus, then you know this shouldn't be an issue in your life. And I'll tell you what I've also heard. If you're struggling with suicidal issues, you're not praying enough. Your faith is not great yes. enough. Yeah. And, and all you're doing is heaping greater guilt and condemnation on somebody who already is struggling with huge issues. And so just because you're a Christian and I found out I've known the Lord for a long time now, um, I found out that I've went through a lot of the same things that non-believers have. The only difference is I've had somebody that's helped me walk through it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I've met it's a number of people uh, in pastoral ministry, like so they basically experience trauma from the church being told like well you're just not praying enough your faith just isn't strong enough if you believed then yeah that's not that's just simply not true some people experiencing mental health issues often pray the most they're desperately crying out for god 
and they're desperately seeking some understanding in the church should be the first place that they probably find those open doors. Yeah, and that's the tragedy of it is a lot of people who are true believers who maybe would want to reach out to other Christians or somebody in the church often don't do so because of this very thing. They afraid they're afraid they're going to be judged, they're afraid they're going to be condemned, they're going to they're afraid that they're going to have more guilt than they already have because somebody's going to tell them that really what they're saying is your Christianity's not good enough and and it's just not true. I've often, um, when I pastored a church full-time, it's very big on transparency and authenticity, being honest with one another in our struggles. So I would model that from the pulpit, and I'd be open and honest in my preaching about my own struggles. It's better than pointing out a congregant, right? But I would have, like, uh, you know, I've had elders and stuff in the past, like, you need to stop that. You need to, like, you're the pastor, right? You're the leader. Like, you can't be telling everybody everything all the time, right? I'm like, well, I kind of disagree. I think it's important to be open and honest about our our humanity, I guess. I follow the same format in my ministry. I'm very honest and open. I still don't have it all together. I'm still not the perfect father. I'm not the perfect son. I'm not the perfect brother. I'm certainly not the perfect Christian or evangelist. And, and I think people appreciate that. And that's one of the problems in church. People can't afford in many cases to be transparent. And <laughs> So we go to church assuming that everybody else has it together. And the truth of it is they don't have it together either. But they're like us. They're afraid to say anything because they don't want to be judged. And that's what I love about the Bible. You know, we see our great heroes. I mean, there's murder. There's adultery. There's denial. And I love that. I mean, David's my favorite character in the Bible because he was a man after God's own heart. And he made probably what we would consider in our society some of the biggest mistakes. And yet. There's no other man that God said was a man after his own heart, but this guy who made all these mistakes. I love Peter as well. You know, our New Testament example. I'll never deny Christ. And yet yeah. in the most <laughs> critical moment, he does. And so there needs to be more transparency and authenticity in the church, not just for this issue, but for all issues. Yeah. Um, the last few years, well, we've seen a lot of different things in uh, you know, Christian news and watching leaders kind of fall off their pedestal, lots of poor accusations, but mental health specifically, we've unfortunately seen some really um, tough stories in the past few years with well-known pastors um, choosing to end their lives, unfortunately. Why do you think that is specifically? Is it that they haven't been allowed to be open and honest or a combination of things? Well, I, I think there's a few factors, but I think one of the defining ones is that and I live in a glass house. And you know as a pastor <laughs> what it's like to live in a glass house when you were pastoring a church. And so pastors are oftentimes the most discouraged people on the planet because they don't have confidence. They can't confidence. They can't go to other people because if anybody's going to be judged, it's those of us who live in a glass house because outsiders think, well, we have it all together. And We are held to a higher standard, but they think because of our spiritual walk that, well, we're immune to certain things. But the truth of it is, oftentimes people in leadership positions are attacked more than anybody else. So while it's easy to throw stones when they fall down, most people don't realize that the amount of temptation and pressure that they receive is much greater in many cases than the average person. Mm. Uh, We have to let you go shortly. But uh, before we do, maybe could you talk really quickly on the role that uh, parents can play in preventing suicide in young people? 
Well, I think there's several things, and, and I think it starts off with building relationships. And that sounds so generic and so simple, but a lot of parents think that they are talking to their, their, their kids, and the truth of it is their kids are telling me, yeah, my parents talk at me, but they don't talk with me. Parents are really good at that, and I know I oftentimes I have to be very careful because I can, I can get in that mode real quick as a father of three. So I, I think one of the things is, is trying to focus more on listening. I think another really important thing is, is in the process of building this relationship, making sure that your kids can tell you anything. A lot of times kids do want to reach out to their parents, but they can't because the way their parents respond, they overact. Um, they don't listen. They, again, they talk. And when there's an open relationship where a student, a, a kid feels like they can tell their parents anything, that they can be open without being judged, their parents flipping out over it, I, I think is also a very, a, a very important part. And I think, too, is, is even what we talked about, recognizing what some of these warning signs are. Parents, I think, because we want to believe the best about our kids, mm. we think, well, our kid would never do that. Sadly, <laughs> some of the parents that are listening to this right now that think their kids might never get involved in drugs or alcohol or premarital sex or pornography, I hate to tell you this, there's a decent chance that they are. But yeah. you don't know it because... They're not able to be honest with you and talk about their temptations, to talk about their struggles. And maybe also part of facilitating that is parents being transparent and opening about some of their struggles when yeah. they were. I was you know, just thinking proud. that. Yeah. yeah, I'm not proud of some of the decisions that I've made, but my kids all know that I went through a season of terrible depression. My kids all know that I had suicidal tendencies. My kids all know that I had an addiction. Well, you don't really want your kids to know that because you don't want your kids to follow suit. But that opened up a door with all three of my kids. And we walked through a lot of different things on my kids. But they were willing to come to me and talk to me about it because, number one, they knew I understood and they knew I wasn't going to judge them because I related. Yeah. And maybe just letting allowing our kids to feel feelings. Right. Like so often it used to be like. You want to cry? I'll give you a reason to cry, right? And <laughs> different things like that and stop this and stop that. But no, what are you, look at what your kids are feeling and then talk with them. Hey, what are you feeling right now? Why do you feel that way? And it's pretty amazing. I married a school psychologist, so she's teaching me lots of things about emotions that I did yeah. not learn yeah. as a Gen Xer growing up. So, <laughs> Well, and maybe parents would do well, um, although their kids don't know what they've done. Their parents might do well to remember some of the decisions that they made that their parents didn't know about yeah. and, and realize that this generation probably is much more difficult for their kids and even less for them. Jay, we kept you for way longer than I promised, but I could talk to you for like another six hours probably. But uh, how can we find out more about your ministry and find out what, what you're up to and where you're, you're going next? The easiest way really is to, I mean, you can Google my name and find a lot of things, but probably the best way is to go to our website. It's my name. It's jlouder.com, J-A-Y-L-O-W-D-E-R.com. And we've got a lot of resources. We even have resources uh, in regards to suicidal tendencies. We've got books. Uh, we've got different health things. So it, it's a great resource awesome. that provides a lot of different things for, for people that are looking for information put the links in the show notes to that and yeah links for uh resources if you are struggling with hurting yourself there is hope out there last question jay what would you say to somebody listening right now and they are in that 
that kind of pit of despair and feel like there are no other options right now? Yeah, well, I would say, first of all, if they're a believer, then I would tell them really what I tell everybody. You've got to find somebody that's a confidant, somebody that's not going to judge you, somebody that's going to be accessible to you, whether that means it's three o'clock in the morning, somebody that's going to listen to you. The worst thing you can do is isolate yourself. The worst thing you can do is walk through this valley on your own. So find a confidant. Maybe it's your mom. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it is a counselor. There's nothing wrong with therapy. Some Christians think there is. Let God use whatever he wants to use to bring healing. The second thing I would say is to people who maybe don't have that relationship. Maybe they're like me. They're religious, but they're, they're not really a person who has a relationship with Christ. I would say first and foremost, Jesus said that he came to give life and he came to give not just life, but an abundant life. And more than anything else, he wants to adopt you into his family. He accepts you with all of your flaws and all of your mistakes, just as you are. And one of the best ways to find a reason to live is to have him living in your heart. And literally, people that are listening to this, that may be driving down the road, that may be at home, you literally could ask Jesus Christ why, right where you're at. Just tell him that you asked for forgiveness. You ask him for a new beginning. You, you tell him that you're putting your faith in him and you want to receive him into your life. I would say if you're a non-believer, that's step number one, because all things can be made new. I'm not saying everything will be made perfect overnight, but it's yeah. a new step from the beginning. Yeah, Jay's living proof. You can check out his story, articles, resources, videos, all sorts of great stuff. Oh, a podcast. It's all at jlouder.com. Jay, thank you so much. Man, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you so much for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe. We'll talk to you again on Connections.